Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It For was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I do have a comment, and this is from Leanne, and uh, that's all I'll say. I don't want to give her away. But uh, this is what she wrote after our first program that we did, or, the, or maybe I should say the introductory program we did to the, uh, the new Churchill series. She says, as a visually challenged senior and formerly avid reader, I am very excited about your new summer book list. It has been my pleasure to journey with you all since your first program. And, and that's from Leanne. So Leanne, we're, we're happy to hear from you, but uh, the summer book list is probably a summer and winter book list. <laughs> so, so there's about nine books. And who knows, we may add a couple more. <laughs> so, But anyway, we're really excited about the series. Also, I've been getting information on Twitter. People, have, I, uh, I put the list of books up on Twitter, and people are excited about that. And they're responding to it, and they're, re- they're retweeting it to their friends and all that. So, so we're really happy to, to hear about that. So with me in the studio today is uh, obviously my wonderful producer, Mr. Dan Arfield. Say good afternoon, Dan. Hello. <laughs> Good to have you. We're miking Dan now so that we actually can hear his wonderful voice. Maybe we'll have him sing for us one of these days. So uh, he's got a beautiful singing voice as well. Also with me in the studio today is one of my best friends in literature, Mr. Grant Turgeon. Welcome back, Mr. Turgeon. Thank you. It's good to be here. So uh, we have finished our discussion of Herman Melville's American classic, Moby Dick. And uh, I know some people have said we're sorry to see it go. But if you just get online, you can hear all you want. You can go back and start from the beginning. Uh, but we do appreciate that so many of you have loved that series. And uh, someone has even nicknamed Mr. Turgeon and I. And we certainly don't want to disrespect Mr. Turgeon. Uh, you know, he is a minister. But uh, they, they want to call us the Dukes of Logan County. <laughs> <laughs> I love so, it though. Yeah. That is a good nickname. <laughs> so whoever says that ought to send us t-shirts. The Dukes of Logan County. And we'll, we'll include Dan in that as well. <laughs> so anyway, just uh, enjoy Moby Dick. And uh, uh, we really did. We thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, uh, all you have to do is go to the trumpet.com, push the button for listen. And then you can find the, the JBL window and you can just go bonkers. <laughs> and just really enjoy that. Now, for today's program, we are going to begin discussing the first book of the new JBL series, and that's My Early Life, 1874-1904. And, of course, this is this is really a wonderful uh, book, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that here in just a second. The, the introduction of any book, I think, is really important, and I know I, I always tell my students, have you read the introduction to the book? And they always go, no. I started with chapter one, you know, and that's what it, but th- this is a really special introduction and, uh, it has been written by William Manchester. Now, William Manchester, uh, it, he is, or I should say maybe now he was an American author 
And he wrote the famous, very famous three-volume series on Winston Churchill's life titled The Last Lion. It's really a great book. Uh, as far as I understand, William Manchester is also dead now. He's, he's died. Uh, but, but he was a, a great historian and a great writer. Now, his introduction to this book was copyrighted in 1996. So, so this book has been very popular for decades, and it is still very popular. So he copyrighted his introduction in 1996. So it's almost like it's a separate little book. Um, but, but, uh, I think for all of you out there listening, if you really read the introduction and study it, carefully, it's going to give you a much better view of the book. And uh, uh, again, it, it's uh, one of the things that he states at the very beginning of the book, and uh, Mr. Turgeon and I are going to we'll, we'll work on this together here, we'll talk back and forth. Uh, what he says in the introduction, he says, Winston Churchill's massive reputation as a world statesman has overshadowed the fact that in 1953 he won the Nobel Prize in Literature. And that, that is amazing. Everyone looks at Winston Churchill as the fat cigar smoking guy. <laughs> and, uh, also there's a lot of people that have a negative opinion of him since he was prime minister. And we're going to really clear this up with this, with this series. We're going to show how really uh, important a guy he was. Anyway, he got a 12,000 pound, um, tax free prize. Knowing Winston Churchill, that probably made him really happy. <laughs> but then Manchester continues in the introduction. He says he probably would have preferred to have won the Nobel Peace Prize after World War II. And he clearly should have. Absolutely. I mean, if you consider other people who have won that award, Barack Obama won that award for doing what? Nothing. Helping helping Iran get closer closer to the nuclear <laughs> bomb. I mean, it just makes no sense. But it does show the, the difference in perspective of someone like Winston Churchill who understood you, you get peace through absolute victory over evil. And then someone like Barack Obama who believes you compromise with evil, you delay the inevitable. And as long as destruction doesn't occur for a few more years, that's what real peace is. Yeah, and it's not true. Totally opposite views. Yeah. So, so anyway, this is where Manchester, I think, really, really is a great, has great comments. Uh, one thing also for all of you writers and readers out there, uh, Manchester also states that Winston Churchill was a writer of genius. And, you know, he, he was a news reporter. Um, you know, he, he's written, uh, we don't know how many books, but he's also written a lot of introductions to other books. He was uh, just a really great writer. The uh, introduction part, I think, stands out to me the most because usually that means that the actual writer of the book could choose anyone he wanted, right? Exactly. So, right. so anyone in the world you could pick, and almost 40 times he was chosen Winston Churchill was chosen to write the introduction to the book. So a lot of people thought very highly of Mr. Churchill. And even the fact that he was willing to write so many says a lot about him as well, that yes. he, he was willing to help out a lot of people by basically giving a plug to their books. Sure. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I, I think it's funny. I think we, we've heard your grandfather talk about this one, but uh, he talks about Edward R. Murrow. And uh, he said that in 1940, he said that uh, Winston Churchill mobilized the English language and sent it into battle. <laughs> so so uh, there's a lot of great writers out there thought he was a great writer. 
So uh, just as Manchester says, in his lifetime, he authored 37 major volumes, nearly 40 introductions to other books, as Mr. Turger just said, and over a thousand articles and stories. So I think I've written 250 articles. So I'm way behind. <laughs> Get started on those books. I know. Start and start it, having all your friends write books so you yeah. can do the introduction. Yeah. <laughs> of course, your, your grandfather knows I'm going to Jerusalem in a few weeks. And he said, make sure you take lots of notes. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, it's going to be, it's going to be really exciting. All right. Um, I think what we want you to understand out there that really Mr. Churchill is, is really one of our literary giants. So we're, we're really looking forward to what we have to say in this program. Well, the introduction of this book is so important too. I mean, it, it sums up 30 years of his life in 13 pages. So you do get a good framework for the entire rest of the book, just by the way, William Manchester sets it up. I mean, I learned a lot about Winston Churchill that I don't think I ever knew before just from this very brief introduction. Yeah. We've taught this, uh, I've taught this to the sophomores. And so it's, I think now that we're doing this again, I might, reintroduce it again into the into the curriculum because it's a we'll have to talk to the academic dean about this but i think it might be good because i think it would really really uh give them a perspective that they really need and it is really well written too i mean it's just a joy to read winston churchill's wit and humor but even (laughs) even the way william manchester writes in the introduction is very entertaining because it's such an objective fair approach it talks about Churchill's great successes in his early years and also shines a pretty bright light on areas where he may have fallen short. Right. And so I, I do appreciate that fair perspective as well. Oh, yeah, it's really good. It's, it's, it's really good. That, that, let's just get into some of, the, some of those things that he says. Um, uh, we have to know that, that he was born in 1874. And then he died in 1965, so he was almost a century old. And so one of the things that Manchester, I think, is kind of nice, he says, so what about this old man's recollection? Because he's writing about his early life. And so I, I, thought, I thought that's a unique perspective. It's like, yeah, what did he really remember? And uh, uh, there's some things that he says uh, in here about his mother, and uh, it's going to come out in the book anyway. But but if you look at the very beginning, this old man's uh, recollection on pages seven and well seven to nine, it says there that he considered his his mother a fairy princess, and uh, Manchester, having done so much research in his life, he knew the truth about that. <laughs> and uh, you know he says this is on page nine. He says in reality, Lady Randolph, the American-born Jenny. Jerome was a beautiful, shallow, diamond-studded panther of a woman who neglected him shamefully. <laughs> so, so, so he talks about this later about being abandoned by his parents, and so, so it's it's it really did hurt him. But uh, you know, we we've even had um, you know messages here at the you know at the college where it seems like some of the men that have had the worst problems with their parents turn out to be the best. You know, there's something about that that it really kind of grooms them to to be a real man. You know, exactly. And I I really appreciate how Mr. Churchill doesn't trash his parents. He does, like you said, he does open up about feeling neglected at times. But at the same time, he was so good at 
just focusing on the positive aspects of his parents. I mean, sure, he did leave out a lot of negative points in these types of descriptions when he's calling his mother a fairy princess. <laughs> Obviously, that doesn't tell the whole story. No. But at the same time, the fifth commandment says to honor your father and your mother. Right. It doesn't say every chance you get to write a book, you trash them. I mean, that's So thankfully, he, he doesn't do that all the time. That's something to be admired as well. Yeah, and, and, that's, and, and that's really something for someone like Manchester to do. You know, he's not trashing her either, but he's just saying, hey, this is the reality. It's a lot better for someone who's not the son of, of that woman to say it yeah. than for her own son to say it. So that's, that's, that's fair as well. Yeah. He goes on to say that this is, this, is, this is something that Winston would have never said about his mother. He says, later, when Winston grew into manhood, she found him interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but she didn't like children. <laughs> so, so anyway... Uh, I think even um, even Manchester's honest about that. He talks about Richard Langworth's research on her, and, and he doesn't see it the same way Manchester wrote it. So it says, Jenny may have spent more time with Winston when he was younger, and uh, uh, that's that. There, there was some research done on that. Um, have you ever noticed that the people who complain the most about their parents have just failed in life? Like they're blame, they blame their parents, they blame their environment for every single thing. And the ones who go on to be successful, those are the ones determined to become a success no matter what. And they're not, they're not focused on just destroying the reputations of everyone around them. Yeah, you can't blame your fault on your parents. Yeah, exactly. That, I mean, uh, there's, there's all kinds of things that uh, you can say, but then, uh, you know, it, what you say is really true. We all need to re respect our parents and, and not, even if they did do bad things, it's still not our problem. It's still not our purpose to say that. You know? When you're, when you're an adult decades later and you're still having basic problems, you can't just say every single time as a 50 year old, well, it's my parents' fault. Yeah. At some point you have to take responsibility for your own life. And so hopefully we can all take that lesson from this as well, that Winston Churchill despite having a horrible family background, was able to go on to such great success and not fixate on the flaws of his parents, which probably would have made him less successful in life, too. Right, right. But he, he's also he's, he's quite a humorous person. He does have a funny perspective, <laughs> even about horrible things, even about tragedy in yeah. his life. He looks back on it with a smile because he, realize, he realizes, well, this made me a lot tougher of a man. This made me more of a real man. Yeah. So he's, in a way, even more thankful for it. Yeah. Um, the, the, a couple other things that he brings out in this, that um, we, we, that's enough about that. But uh, he does talk about even uh, Winston Churchill, that, that he, when he was writing this, he looked over his life. And, you know, he studied it all the way back. And the, the thing is, there's that section on page 10 where he talks about the vanished aged, you know, uh, when uh, this is what Manchester says, it says, on completing the manuscript of, of this work, Churchill wrote that he found that he had drawn a picture of a vanished age. Since then, he realized the character of society, the foundation of politics, the methods of war, the outlook of the youth, the scale of values are all changed, and changed to an extent I should not have believed possible in so short a time without any violent domestic revolution. And so, so 
That is one quote why I want to use this book in this series, because that is what's happening in the United States today. It is changing rapidly. And it's, it's like the, 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 the age that I grew up in in the 50s, it's gone. It doesn't exist. Well, and then Winston Churchill, after William Manchester's introduction to the book, right after that, Winston Churchill writes the author's preface, and on the very first page he says, well, I'm not even so sure that all of these changes were good changes. And we see today, there's some people who just think, okay, as long as we radically overhaul and transform and tear down everything, it's automatically going to turn out better. And that's just not, that's simply not right. There are a whole lot of things about Mr. Churchill's day that are a, a whole lot better than they are now. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, even Manchester brings this out really well. Uh, he, he saw everything was the vanished age. And then, then he goes in and he starts talking about his wretched school days. You know, and I can imagine being in some English schools would be pretty tough. You know, and, and uh, there's a lot of, I think, some really good humorous stuff coming up when we get into the, when he gets into these schools. I mean, it's really hilarious. Some of it is really good. But, but, but the, but the point is, 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 even though he he maybe his parents, um, you know, didn't show him all the attention people think they should have uh, when he went into these schools. I mean, they were tough cookies. I mean, they would beat kids if they didn't do things right, you know, uh, kind of thing. You get the impression from the introduction that all the children of this time may, basically were miserable in school. It was extremely hard, but they all understood that if they got through that program, they would be set up for a better life. And you sort of wish that school today was more like that, where it was, where it would be maybe a little bit more difficult, a little bit more challenging for the students. But at the same time, they're ready for the real world when they graduate. That's yeah. just not how it is now. Yeah. Well, you know, I went through, I didn't like my school days either, but I went through Catholic schools. They were tough. Spank, spankings with the ruler on the oh, hand on the knuckles man oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah i mean uh if we, we'll get into it later but i they were trying to introduce algebra and the, the catholic schools were not supported by the government you know and so they were trying to compete with the with the parochial uh not the parochial the 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 public schools and uh they were trying to teach me algebra one day and i just i just couldn't get it and the, the teacher called me up to the front of the room and says okay well Dennis what is the problem let's let's see let's go through this again I'll help you through this and I had her so frustrated she started beating the chalkboard and all the chalk was coming down on my uniform and so I had white I was like <laughs> not white passed out it was white because of chalk dust it looked like a snowman and, and that's right and every kid was laughing at me and that is the last time I ever asked a question about math. Oh, no. I said, I'm done yeah. with math and, uh, <laughs> until I got to high school. That's probably very common, too. I mean, it's, even, if, even if a teacher takes your question patiently and tries to help, what about your peers? Oh. And them getting frustrated with you because you're, uh, you're bogging down the class. And then, oh, and then they were just laughing at me. Yeah. Oh, it was terrible. Anyway. But here's the thing about uh, Winston Churchill. He went through a tough time. We're going to go through all that as we go through the chapters. But here's what he acknowledged. His later, Winston acknowledged that after he had come to appreciate the stability of English society, he was, as he writes here, a child of the Victorian era. 
wherein the structure of our country seemed firmly set, a time when the dominant forces in Great Britain were very sure of themselves and their doctrines. The dominant forces, the class into which he had been born, were masters of the greatest empire in the globe has ever known, comprising one-fourth of the Earth's surface and a quarter of the world's population, thrice the size of the Roman Empire at full flush. And so, you see, he, he learned what he went through was worth it. You know, now we'll get into some of the things. He, he really pokes fun at having to learn Greek and Latin and all that. <laughs> we had to learn Latin, too. So, uh, so and uh, I didn't like Latin. And there's this girl. We were kind of friends, and we kind of tease each other during Latin class, and I got caught. So they put me in the cloakroom <laughs> during Latin <laughs> class. So for a whole week when I came to Latin class, I had to go to the cloakroom. So I learned nothing that week about Latin. <laughs> so, so you see, I can relate to Winston. Anyway, anyway, uh, uh, so, so anyway, I think Churchill was really kind of sad that that everything, you know, really, really changed so quickly. And uh, to me, this sounds so familiar to what's happening, uh, you know, in in America today. I thought we'd skip the author's pre- preface. Okay, but I do think there I is did. an interesting point there about how some of his ancestors fought on the American side in the Revolutionary okay, War. Okay, I didn't look that at that. Why don't you bring that up? Yeah. Well, in the author's preface, Winston Churchill basically explains the thesis statement for the entire book. This is on page twenty-two in the Roman numerals. He sa- he writes, "I thought." I have thought that it might be of interest to the new generation to read a story of youthful endeavor, and I have set down candidly and with as much simplicity as possible my personal fortunes. So he's writing this for the next generation, trying right. to inspire young people to aim high and achieve a lot, even if they're even if they're early on in life, they can still accomplish quite a lot. So really, a rather magnanimous reason for writing a book, I would say, and. The, the rest of the author's preface is less than two pages long, and he just explains his family background and how actually his mother was from New York and how some of his, I think, maybe his, basically like ab- above the level of his grandfather, mm-hmm. uh, they were actually fighting in the Revolutionary War yes. on the American side. Yes. So uh, Winston Churchill loved America and... Perhaps this is part of the reason why he actually has family roots on his mother's side yeah. in America. His grandfather was a winner. He he made a lot of money. He built a lot in New York. He started the Democrat and Chronicle newspaper, which I believe is still around today. At least another one by that name it exists up in New York. So it seems like he, he did live, leave a lasting legacy. He had a famous racehorse named Kentucky that was undefeated. <laughs> so Winston Churchill seems really proud of his grandfather, and he sets up basically his entire family history pretty quickly in less than two pages yes. in the author's preface. That's the other thing people don't understand about Winston Churchill. Essentially, he is half American, you know, with his mother. And I think at that time, too, a lot of the the upper crust in um, in England they did look to marry wealthy American women. And so, so she was probably one of the top, top ones. And then 
I understand, of course, she was really beautiful as well. That's basically the way Mr. Churchill describes it. He said his mother had the reputation for being pretty much the prettiest girl anywhere. Yeah. And his father <laughs> fell in love with her at first sight, apparently. Yeah. That's... And I think he also needed money at the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so anyway, because his father, uh, Winston, I mean, not Winston, but uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Manchester. Lord Randolph Churchill. Yeah. yeah, Mr. Mr. Manchester doesn't have a lot of real positive things to say <laughs> to say about him. <laughs> he called him a demagogue. <laughs> mm, right. So so anyway, but it is interesting there about about her family. And so so everybody out there, make sure you read the author's preface as well. And uh, we'll come back to it every now and then anyway. So so uh all right. Let's go to chapter one because it's a great chapter. <laughs> All right, so we get we get some description of Churchill's entire life in the introduction, or basically his entire first thirty years, and then the author's preface gives some American background in, in Churchill's family history, and then the very beginning of chapter one, we find out well, actually, <laughs> Churchill started off in Ireland. His Ireland. earliest memories are from Ireland until he was almost five. almost five years old. Almost five years old. So. You do get this per, this almost global perspective in the beginning of the book. No, I was excited because he was in Ireland, because I'm Irish. I was raised Irish. I was told every time I was Irish all the time. You know, My mother was Irish. My father was Irish. My, my grandfather had come over when he was 12, our great-grandfather, and, and he was a dynamite setter. You know what that is? They would crawl into the coal mines. They'd sit, oh, he yes. was like 12. He was real small. He had a stick of dynamite. Put the dynamite in the thing, light it, and crawl back out. Oh, that's that's what my great grandfather did from coming. They left during the potato famine and they came to Pennsylvania. He ended up owning the coal mine mm. and the, all the property in that little village, but then he lost it all in the depression. So I could have been really wealthy. But, what a life! But uh, I had to live a poor cat. <laughs> Poor Catholic Irish life. So you you can uh, you can immediately well even just from that you can see the value of history, but just yeah. memories and stories and from someone like Churchill, I mean even just his humor comes out right in the beginning of chapter one. He's he's talking about Oliver Cromwell, who was basically a tyrant <laughs> king of England for a while, and and. Uh, Churchill, as a young boy, learns a little bit about Cromwell, and he writes, I understood definitely that he had blown up all sorts of things and was therefore a very, very great, great man. man. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that is hilarious. And then he talks about getting kicked off a donkey and suffering a concussion, yeah. and it was a result of some sort of political group in, in Ireland. I don't really know much the about Finians. that. The, yeah, the I, Finians. I, the, the Finians were a Catholic group. Uh, they, were, they, were, uh, they wanted freedom. Um, did they did they commit terror attacks? Maybe is yes. that why people oh, yeah. were so afraid of them? Oh, so yeah. it, the donkey got scared while they were in a walk, kicked Churchill off. He got a concussion, and he says this was my first introduction to Irish politics. Yeah, which yeah. is is not true only of Churchill. It's true of England in general because they always have rivalry with Ireland. A lot of people in Ireland hate the British Empire, and so you could say that. Irish politics are a headache to a lot of people associated with the British Empire. Yeah, when I, when I was growing up, uh, you know, of course we were Irish Catholic, and uh, we did have families that supported the the IRA and 
in Ireland. I mean, it was not good, but, but there was Irish, you know, I grew up with Irish people that really were into Irish politics, and, and it was terrible what was really going on in Ireland at the time. And so, so uh, I, I think it's, it's also funny in there that um, the, this first chapter, he, he talks about uh, Cromwell, as you said, but I thought the whole thing with the pantomime at the castle and it said that uh, he was just little, and there was all these kids going to be taken to the castle to see this pantomime. And they got there, and it didn't happen because the theater had burned down. And, and the only thing left was the dead manager's keys. So he obviously was burnt to ashes. Wow. And then, and then uh, Winston got into trouble because he said <laughs> to his parents he wanted to see the dead man's keys. <laughs> no, one, no one really liked that very much. <laughs> that, that did not go over well. <laughs> And then it was at the at the Emo Park with this Lord Partington uh, statue, and there was the Whitestone Tower, and that's he, that's when he was told it was blown up by Oliver Cromwell. And then he said, "I understood very definitely he had blown up all sorts of all sorts of things, and therefore was a very great man." <laughs> so it really is. I mean, it, as um, Winston, uh, as he's writing this, Manchester said it's really charming. This whole book is charming. It really so, is. So, so he gets a. He really has a way of explaining his life, but then also making it really appealing, you know. And so, so you can say you can feel sorry for him or whatever. The Finians, uh, it, it's it's funny. Also introduced here is probably one of the most important people in his life is Miss Ever- Mrs. Everest, and she was his nurse and. And it turns out as, as he grew older and, uh, maybe he wasn't as close to his mother because she was having her shenanigans, it was Mrs. Everest that he could go to and, and confide in. But, uh, she was, as he says there, he says, my nurse, Mrs. Everest was nervous about the Finians. <laughs> he says, I gathered the, these were wicked people and there was no end to what they would do if they had their way. On one occasion when I was out riding my duck, oh, this is what you were talking about. He he's uh he's chasing the rifle brigade, but then he, donkey gets excited and kicks him off. And uh, uh, his introduction to to Irish politics. But then, I think I think the other funny thing about this chapter is so good is when he's introduced to a governess. He does not want to be in education. He said he was menaced by education. <laughs> He really was. Just a brilliant way to put it. <laughs> yeah. He was menaced by it. So, so anyway, they were trying to get him ready for the governess, probably because they didn't want to be embarrassed. And so, so essentially what happens is Mrs. Everest pulls out this book called Reading Without Tears. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he was reading with tears. <laughs> so, so he says, it certainly did not justify its title in my case. <laughs> I was made aware that before the governess arrived, I must be able to read without tears. We toiled each day. My nurse pointed with a pen at different letters. I thought it all very tiresome. Our preparations were by no means completed when the fateful hour struck and the governess was due to arrive. I did what so many oppressed people (laughs) have done in similar circumstances. I took to the woods. (laughs) I hid in the extensive shrubberies, forest they seemed, which surrounded the little lodge. Hours passed before I was retrieved and handed over to the governess. He says, we continued to toil every day, not only at letters, but at words. 
and also it was much more worse figures. <laughs> Letters, after all, had only got to the cut to be known, and when they stood together in a certain way, one recognized their formation, and then it meant a certain sound or word which one uttered when passed, pressed sufficiently. But the figures were tied into all sorts of tangles and did things to one another which was extremely difficult to forecast with complete accuracy. <laughs> you had to say what they did each time they were tied up together, and the governess apparently att attached enormous importance to the answer being exact. <laughs> if it was not right, it was wrong. <laughs> Describing how we all feel when first trying to read. <laughs> I love how he says he's part of the oppressed people when he grew up in unfathomable wealth and privilege. I mean, he did have a bad family background, but William Manchester says few people in the world rich. could even imagine the, the kind of luxurious lifestyle that Churchill enjoyed. Oh, But he's getting educated and he's saying, well, I'm oppressed too, you know. <laughs> so, Have you ever been to Blenheim? I, I think pretty much everyone in my family has. Yeah, we've been me. to Oh, really? I'm pretty you sure. You need to go. So. Oh, yeah, we've been to Blenheim. That's where he grew up. I know. He grew maybe, up at Blenheim. Maybe I went when I was like four. Yeah. Five. Could have been, yeah. He says, uh, he goes on to say, in, in some cases, uh, these figures got into debt with one another. You had to borrow one or carry one. And afterwards, you had to pay back the one you had borrowed. <laughs> oh, yes. Math now. <laughs> yeah. He said, these complications cast steadily gathering shadow over my daily life. They took one away from all the interesting things one wanted to do in the nursery or the garden. They made increasing inroads upon one's leisure. One could hardly get time to do any of the things one wanted to do. They became a general worry and preoccupation. <laughs> more especially more, more especially was this true when we descended into a dismal bog called Sums. <laughs> there, there appeared to be no limit to these. When one sum was done, there was always another. Just as soon as I managed to tackle a particular class of these afflictions, some other more variegated type was thrust upon me. <laughs> so you see, so, he just wanted to play with his thousands of toy soldiers and his his toy steam engine. Not, have a real not, steam engine. Not have school all day. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I think I think that uh, that is probably all the time we have for today. So on our next program, we will begin uh, discussing and continue maybe discussing chapters two and three of. Uh, uh, Winston Churchill's charming book, My Early Life, 1874 to 1904. Now, you can buy My Early Life at Amazon.com. You may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. And in fact, I can guarantee you, you can find a copy at abebooks.com. Now, <clears throat> you may be able to find a copy in your local uh, library. Um, and of course, uh, maybe you could check your, your uh, bookstore as well. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. And I will be upgrading those sites and will be communicating to you from both those sites. So until next time, keep reading. been listening to just the best literature on trumpet radio 101.3 kpcg streaming online at kpcg.fm and the trumpet.com